Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald, and this episode's guest is Peter Van Dongen, Senior Manager of Business Development at MNP, a leading national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm with five offices on Vancouver Island. Peter is a longtime island resident and a big advocate for commerce across the region and talks with me about how his firm and other organizations are adapting to the new realities of doing business in the midst of a pandemic. He also covers the local economy, the Vancouver Island Economic Summit, and much more. Our interview starts now. All right, well, I'm Peter Van Dongen. I'm a Senior Manager of Business Development for MNP. We're the uh, fifth largest accounting and business consulting firm in Canada offices from coast to coast. And one of the things that I, I, I like to point out were that we would be the largest firm in the, in the country that's 100% Canadian owned um, and focused on serving clients in the mid market. Here on Vancouver Island, we've got five offices, including Victoria, Duncan, Nanaimo, Courtney and Campbell River. And collectively we employ about 220 people across the island. Um, we work with clients in all sectors of the economy, small and mid-sized businesses, as well as government, uh, not-for-profit organizations. And we also work with a significant number of Indigenous nations and organizations as well. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm and, and I maintain an active interest in, in the farm and food sector and have throughout my career. And uh, my wife and I live up in the New Bay where her family still operates a, a large farm. Um, so that's, uh, that's an area of, of passion for me as well outside of, uh, outside of the office. So I know you uh, from, from years ago, and I knew you as the marketing guy for MNP. And over the past, I think it was at the beginning of last year, uh, your role changed to more of a focus on business development. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, on kind of what that, has, what that role shift has looked like for you? Yeah, absolutely, uh, John. Yeah, and we've had a, a great relationship with Business Examiner over the years. Uh, when we first moved to the island, and my wife and I back in 2005, I'll say Business Examiner was one of the ways that I got to know who was who on the island and uh, really just studied. I was brand new to this region, hadn't ever lived here before. So that's been, that was super helpful for me. Um, I've been with MNP now 14 years. And as you mentioned, I've, 12 of those years was as regional marketing manager on the island, along with some shorter stints in leading our marketing team in BC and then opening up our new region in, in the north. And it was early last year, ironically, just before the pandemic that I, I moved into a new role fo focused exclusively on business development. I've, I've always had a, a passion for building relationships, developing strategic opportunities and, and partnerships and connecting the dots. That would be a, a real theme, I think, throughout my career. And, and that's exactly what I get to focus on in this, in this new role. In, so in terms of my day-to-day, -day, my, my primary focus is on building relationships, both inside and outside of MNP. I spend a lot of time uh, talking with our partners internally about our current clients and how we can help them, talking about prospective clients and our community partners, and, and understanding what the needs, of, needs are for both our clients and the communities where we serve and then connecting them to the right people that can help them uh, address those, those opportunities. So if you, you're, a, you're a marketing guy yourself, if you think about the traditional uh, sales and marketing funnel where you're, you're starting wide and you're talking about articulating your message and building awareness and interest in your services, that's more about you know, communicating one to many. You're, you're communicating a broad message to multiple companies within your target markets. 
with with this shift, I've I've moved down the funnel a bit where now the focus is on building and, and managing relationships in a more one-to-one -one way with specific companies and individuals. So it's it's a more collaborative and, and two-way relationship that I'm dealing with every day. Yeah, no, that's tremendous. I appreciate you you clarifying that. Now, are you focused on business development like regionally, like on the island, or is it a little bit more of a broad uh, scope? It's uh, my, my primary focus is on the island. I'm, I still live here up in Anus Bay, as I mentioned, and and so that's my primary area of focus. But one of the things that I that I love about MNP is the way our business model is structured. We're one firm right across the Canada from coast to coast. So what that means is that our, our decisions about where we go, it's, it's who's, who's the best person to help the client. So if I get a call from some colleagues in Vancouver or elsewhere in, in the province, uh, I, can, I can easily uh, help out and, and jump in. I'll give you an example of that. I mean, um, uh, this week I've been preparing for a few client workshops uh, coming up with businesses in Vancouver because the opportunity was there and also develop, uh, delivered some business development training to our new uh, CPA, uh, CPA uh, uh, student, not students anymore, I guess, uh, CPA grads uh, right across the province. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun that way. I've, I've had a chance to see some, uh, see a lot of different areas of BC. It sounds like a really nice mix of, mix of variety too. Not that marketing would be stale, but I would imagine 12 years you start to, there's an element of predictability about just the business cycle. So I'd imagine this kind of makes things, re-stimulates. Absolutely. It, it keeps things fresh. And, and one of the priorities and goals for me was to move closer to our clients and being able to have those, those conversations directly with, with clients and, and with our, our team that works with our client base. And so it's, it's, you get a, a, a really good feel for what's happening on the ground and, uh, and, and seeing some of the great entrepreneurial stories that we, uh, we have here on the island. Could you speak a little bit about kind of what you think the future of these these professional service advisory firms is being? Uh, there's MNP and a couple of the other the multinational firms um, who are almost a one-stop shop now for a lot of most of the services that kind of a mid and even a large-sized business could need. Yeah, a couple of points I'd I'd make on this. Uh, number one, I think the the complexity of of challenges that that clients are dealing with, organizations of all sizes, I think continue to increase. The pace of change and so being being able to access advisors that can look at not only their finances as a traditional accounting firm would do but to help them look out at the landscape and see what's coming and anticipate what's coming i, I think that's that's the real value of, of having a uh, a firm like ours where you you can you have your your relationship person who is think of it as your 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 uh your family doctor, you know, you go see them when you have a challenge and they'll help diagnose the issue. And, and if it's a, if it's something specialized, they can refer you and bring in the right person to help you. And that's the, that's the way our model is built as well, where if you've got, if you have some concerns around cybersecurity, our, our general practitioner will, will bring in that expertise and, and it helps the clients move, uh, move that, that forward. The other thing that I'd say more, more broadly affecting, uh, our profession and, and the world of professional services is just the move towards uh, robotic processing, art, uh, artificial intelligence. Those sorts of things are, are definitely changing our, uh, our profession. Um, if you look at the, the more basic data entry uh, compliance type services, 
a lot of that will be or and is already being replaced by uh, by by more automated processes. And what that means is that it, it's freeing up our time. It's you can do those processes more efficiently first and foremost, and then it's freeing up the time for our advisors to help clients more make sense of okay, what is the what does the data mean, and what's happening in your business, and be more forward looking as opposed to here's what your financial statement said about last year. And so th those would be a, a couple of the big changes. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, and jumping into a little bit of the, the pandemic uh, discussion here, has there been anything particularly that has surprised you from, I think, A, how the business community has responded, uh, as well as government, um, to, to obviously all the challenges that, that started last spring? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a challenge for everyone. I, I think uh, it's easy to criticize government. I, I think they've done the, the best they can in a situation that they're just there's no there's no preparation really for it. You can you can try and anticipate, but uh, you know I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt in that way. I think what's what's really struck me and impressed me is is the creativity that we've seen from individuals, from businesses, in how they're adapting to the ongoing uncertainty. And what started as what I would call forced innovation, I think has started to evolve. And it was that, that, that scramble to stabilize and survive. Uh, that was the initial shock, but I think the perspective has uh, started to shift. Um, er early on in the pandemic, I heard a speaker pose the question, what does this make possible? And I, I shared this at the economic summit last year, just in my, some of my opening comments there that it really became an anchor for me personally and professionally, and is one that I have posed in, in many a meeting uh, since that time. And it, it, I think it's a useful question to, to maintain a positive perspective. Um, and if we look at how businesses have responded, I think we've, we've seen that in spades. One story that sticks out for me was uh, uh, an individual in, in Kamloops got laid off from a, a good paying job in the mining industry and it led him to reconnect in his garage with a passion for woodworking. And this was back in April of last year. And that, that evolved into him launching a business, converting old wine barrels into custom furniture. And within a number of months, he had not only replaced his income, but he was planning to expand and looking to get space. So I think in many cases, the, the, uh, for individuals like that, the, the pandemic has actually sparked a, a, new, a new type of entrepreneurship and creativity in response. Uh, so that's uh, stories like that. I, I, I'm not trying at all to, um, to downplay the challenges that many businesses have experienced and continue. Um, but there's definitely been some some bright stories uh, coming out of it as well. Well, I appreciate the, the positive outlook on it as well. I think there's just, there's so many opportunities to be negative in a, in a time like this. And I've the positive voice is surprisingly rare in, in many cases. It's, it's the nice thing about the business community. I think there is a lot of optimists there. Yeah. Um, one, one thing, one other thing I'd add actually, John, is, is and it's, it's something interesting to, to watch as you look out and you, you hear the stories. There's, there's, there's obviously been a, a renewed focus on buy local and support local and rebuilding our local supply chains. And, and, and that's been fantastic to see. You look at programs like the Island Good program that the Vancouver Island Economic Alliance launched a few years ago. Lots of, uh, of new licensees and uptake around that program and, and energy. And yet at the same time, and we've seen this in our business, this, the adoption of technology has in many ways 
completely dissolved borders. And it's, and it's allowed us to, um, to do business anywhere and expand the scope uh, for local businesses shipping across Canada. And, and for us, it's made it a lot easier to access the expertise that our clients need, regardless of where the client is based or where the expertise is based. I've been on a number of calls, including one recently where uh, we had a client in the construction industry in Victoria. We had myself the, from my home office in Anus Bay, uh, Doug Tice, our real estate and construction leader in Nanaimo, uh, corporate finance specialist in Vancouver, and uh, uh, our national leader for enterprise resource planning out of Mississauga. And the ability to bring that expertise to our clients is, uh, it, it, it's so much easier now because everybody's comfortable with, uh, with operating in a digital world. That's great. When, when the challenges first started coming down the line, was there, like, did you guys have a kind of a leadership meeting and, and, and face just, okay, these are, you know, this is how we're going to face it. We're going to adapt in this in place A, place B, place C. We're going to streamline things in a certain area. Was there kind of a standard operating procedure developed as it came along or has it been kind of just adapt as, as needed? That's a good question. I think it's, I think it's probably a, a bit of both. Um, there's, and, and it's it, no different than I think uh, any, any business or any organization out there is that you've, you've got to look out and, and see, okay, where do we have gaps? Where are we strong? And, and how do we best adapt to this scenario? So, you know, we, like everybody else, we shifted to, uh, you know, almost a fully, uh, fully uh, remote workforce for a period of time. And then it, it started to find a new equilibrium where some of us continue to work from home, others are in a bit of a hybrid role. So uh, I don't think it's a whole lot different for us than it has been for many other businesses. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, one thing I wanted to jump into here a little bit is the sort of the pandemic exposing businesses. And I think you touched on it really well, but what opportunities does this make possible? But um, is there any trends that you're seeing now in terms of businesses having this forced innovation or forced adoption of technology? Um, anything that you're seeing now and then some things that you maybe expect coming down the pipe in the next uh, quarter or two? Yeah. You know, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me actually on that question, John, is a, is a quote from one of the keynote speakers at the Vancouver Island Economic Summit last year. His name is uh, Dr. Justin Bull. He's a professor of entrepreneurship and sustainability at, at UBC. And, and he said at that time, he said, my advice for small and medium-sized businesses is to figure out where you are on the technology adoption curve and run as if your house is on fire to move up it. And I just, it was a, just such a, a simple yet profound statement uh, that he made. And, I, and it, I know it resonated with a lot of people in the audience. And I, I think it still applies. And I think that's what we're seeing um, where there's just more and more adoption of technology. Organizations like, uh, like Innovation Island uh, have done a great job in helping businesses do that through their uh, DER3 program, helping businesses use technology to improve their operations or, or take on e-commerce capabilities. And, uh, and that program has actually has been used as a model for other regions around the province, as you've probably heard as well. So I think, I think that's been really promising. The other thing I've, I've been happy to see is that the provincial government has, has put support behind that as well, helping uh, companies take their businesses online uh, through the, the launch online grant program. And 
businesses can get up to a $7,500 grant to, to help take their businesses, uh, uh, improve their, their digital uh, adaptation. And so those, I think, are, are really, um, have been really encouraging. Okay. No, that's awesome. Um, I, to dovetail off of that, uh, one of the things that we talked to kind of in the preamble to this was the challenge of how to grow or how a business can grow in a digital world. Can you give us your thoughts on, on kind of maybe how MMP is approaching that and maybe even some recommendations for, for businesses in general and how they can be proactive about growing in a, in a time with still a fair amount of uncertainty? Yeah, this, this was and continues to be a, a hot topic for us right across the firm is that how do you, initially it was how do we stay connected to our clients when everybody's in this, this uh, virtual and working remote? I think that, that started to settle out and, and we moved into a, 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 you know, new routines and, and just got through that initial shock. Uh, but the idea of how do we continue to, to network with people and build business um, when we don't have the same opportunities to meet face-to-face, -face, that's, that's an ongoing question that I, that I get. And I, I think it's helpful to think about what has changed and what hasn't when it comes to, to networking and business development. Um, and I, I heard a speaker early on talk about it's, you know, you know, it was prior to the pandemic, it was our business development activities were very organic. You'd be out and about in the community, you'd be going to sporting events, you'd, you'd go for lunch with, with, uh, with one client, you'd bump into another client, oh, hey, we got to get together. It was very fluid and just and natural. And the biggest shift I think we've seen um, in this virtual world that we're now living in is that it's, it's inorganic. It takes more pre-thought and planning and intention to make sure that we're reaching out and staying connected with our, with our existing customers and forming new relationships. So the goal is how do we make that as organic as possible and natural? And two, two things that I've uh, been focusing on is, is something just called the spontaneous check-in where we don't have those natural triggers where we're bumping into people. So we need to rely on a different trigger. So it's, it's as soon as somebody pops to mind or you see, some, you see a, a name in a newsletter or something like that, use that as a trigger to just reach out and say, how are things going? I just, you were on my mind. It's just such a simple, uh, simple process, but it's all about opening that conversation. And then the second key piece I think is with the inability to network face-to-face, -face, I've seen a huge increase in the use of social networking as a way to stay visible with, with your network and with, without a, a huge uh, um, investment of, of time. You could just, you know, say what you want to say, reach a, a large number of people at the same time, and just be top of mind and visible, which may trigger more of those, uh, those conversations. So the big takeaway is the fundamentals of relationship development haven't changed at all. We just need to use, use some different tools to, to do it. Now, one of the other areas that we're seeing or trends that we're seeing is a, is a huge uh, move towards cloud accounting systems and other digital solutions uh, for all aspects of business, right up to fully cloud-based ERP systems. We're seeing that with some of the, the larger construction companies on the island, for example. And the other thing related to this digital transformation that many companies are going through, and I think all of us just in our personal lives, is uh, a growing interest and need in the area of cybersecurity. Uh, that's gonna continue to impact businesses of all sizes as we move more and more online. 
And one of the things that I've learned from working with our cyber team and our cyber specialists is that it's a lot more than just a technology issue. A big part of cybersecurity is it's a, it's a human issue. Often we are the biggest problem based on our behaviors and, oh, let's click on this link. So I think one of the messages for business is to continue to educate yourself about good cyber behavior, good cyber hygiene with passwords and, and, and you know, what to look for in terms of uh, phishing emails and that sort of thing. Uh, I think that, uh, that will become more, more important uh, as we continue to, to digitize our economy. Jumping into a little bit more of like the macro look at uh, the COVID impact, do you have any thoughts about, or maybe what are your thoughts about the path forward for, for BC's economy, maybe even the island's economy? Well, I usually I usually direct questions like this to our our economist Susan Mowbray, who does the uh, the uh, State of the Island report for the Vancouver Island Economic Alliance. But uh, I, a couple of thoughts I'll, I'll say at a high level. I mean, first off, I think BC is at a distinct advantage in terms of our recovery uh, and even the impact of the pandemic because we have such a diversified economy. So I I think that's helpful. We're in we're in a good place from that perspective. In the conversations that I've been having. Um, and, and what I've been, been reading, I, one, of the, one of the areas that I'm seeing a huge opportunity for growth, and, and this applies both BC, I think right across the board, is in the food and beverage sector. And anything that intersects uh, sustainability, plant-based proteins, that sort of thing. So on the island, we're seeing a lot of interest in the seaweed industry, for example, that checks a lot of those boxes. But just the food and beverage sector overall, uh, and agriculture. I, I don't know if it's the fact that the pandemic maybe brought us to our knees a bit in terms of uh, the, the basics, right? Our basic needs, shelter, food, et cetera. But I'm definitely seeing a uh, renewed interest and investment in the, the food industry. And it's, it's happening right across the country, investment in new processing facilities. Part of it has to do with the the uh, vulnerability of our supply chain that I think was exposed a bit by the pandemic, where if all of our beef is coming out of three or four plants um, and they get shut down due to uh, a, a COVID exposure, um, that, that can lead to some, some big problems. So I think those are being addressed and there's a renewed interest in, in that part of our economy, which will bode well for BC, where we're already quite strong in that space. Now, one thing I don't know, you know again, how much you, you you can or can or will or will not say about this, but there is some some challenges in on the island with uh, external. I call them external pressures on forestry, aquaculture, some place, some industries that um, make major contributions to small communities. And you know, there's a, so you know, and it, it just creates challenges because it, it's hard to figure out outside looking in where, like, you couldn't just swap them out and replace. Them. You know that tax base, or you know, right away. Do you have any thoughts about if there's a uh, solutions, or if you have clients who are kind of facing some of these challenges, how you're addressing them? I think there's a tendency um, to try and counter concerns about the environment by highlighting economic contributions of the sector, and it sets up a debate about the environment versus the economy, and and I don't see that as a healthy debate, and I and I don't see it as an either or. Uh, question. Um, I think there's definitely an economic argument, but I, I think we need to get beyond that and talk more about what are the um, 
what are the environmental practices that these companies and industries are doing? Because most of them, there's some, some really good things going on in that area. Uh, what are the social contributions that they're making? And looking at it more holistically and, and highlighting uh, those things, the good things that those industries are doing beyond just the economic contribution. Okay, not very insightful. Um, to, to, to flesh that out a bit more, looking at smaller communities on the island who are maybe dependent on these uh, sectors for now, is there, uh, do you see some solutions, some potential opportunities for these smaller communities about how they can build, I mean, a, you know, a business tax base essentially um, to kind of future-proof themselves um, as, ch as changes inevitably come in some way? I think this is a, this is a great question. And, and two communities come to mind for me that I think are doing a really good job in this area. And they're, they're, they're both doing it with a healthy dose of collaboration and innovation. And the first is is Campbell River. Uh, I think we're, what we're seeing there, they're they're doing a uh, they're, you know they're continuing to support the primary industries, uh, forestry and aquaculture, which we mentioned, as they play a critical role in their employment and and tax base in the community. But at the same time, they are um, really promoting local economic um, or entrepreneurship programs and tech sector attraction being one. And, and continuing to build the key infrastructure. It's one thing to promote the tech sector. What, what Campbell River did that I really liked was uh, the city invested in building a municipal broadband network to support those efforts and say, hey, we, have, we actually have the infrastructure here uh, to support these, these new tech businesses. And, and on the collaboration side, they have, and this, this actually started before the pandemic, but they've partnered up with six other municipalities on the island to promote the island as a destination for the tech sector. And I'm a huge proponent of collaboration across the region. I think we're a lot stronger as when we're promoting ourselves as Vancouver Island than any one community. And I think that is, uh, so I think that's a, that's a great example. The, the other, the other community is, is Port Alberni and, and very similar. They're, they're seeing renewed investment in their primary sectors. Uh, I think of the Sand Group and their investment modernizing their, the, the, uh, the mill there. Um, and, and they're collaborating on, they're looking out at their community and saying, what are the assets that we have? And then they're working with the, you know, the Port of uh, Port Alberni and developing the new food hub there around seafood. So they're, they're starting to, they're taking those primary industries and they're building around it and, and creating that innovation and tech sector development in a way that supports the, the, uh, the primary industries. So I think those are, those are both great examples. The last question I've got for you kind of on, the, on the, the business side of things is talking a little bit about the, um, the economic summit, which you, know, you are MNPs or were marketing, uh, the marketing guy at MNP and you're also the economic summit guy um, uh, on the island. Can you speak to you a little bit about, I don't know what you can say about um, what's, what you guys have in the pipeline this year, um, or just to, to maybe promote it a little bit to the audience? Sure, well, and I appreciate that. I mean, this is, a, this is an organization and, a, and an event and a, and a cause that I've been, uh, been passionate about. I was, I, was, I was doing a quick count and, and I, I think I've, I've been involved in 13 of the 14 summits in some way, shape or form, either as a, a speaker or, or as a sponsor or an attendee. And, and, and then I was uh, uh, chaired our committee last year. So I'm definitely 
passionate about the cause. I'm passionate about what it stands for and, and what the summit provides, which is a chance to bring together all of the diverse uh, segments and, and um, industries and people from all the, the communities across the island to collaborate and think about where do we move forward as a region. And so the, the summit is as soon as one ends, the planning for the next begins. And so we're still, we're still forming the, the program committee is, is working right now to get a feel for where we think things might be in October and what the conversations will be at that point. And uh, so it's, it's too early to say where we'll land on that because we, we wanna make sure that it's uh, timely and, and relevant. But I, I think what you can expect is is, is very similar. Well, by, by the time October rolls around, there will be discussions about our key industries. There'll be discussions about uh, economic recovery. There'll be discussions about emerging opportunities. And that's the, the, the beauty of it is just bringing all of the big decision makers into one place and, and uh, we'll, we'll move forward together. Awesome. We'll look forward to the announcements for that when they come available. I've got three, uh, sorry, four quick ones for you to finish this up. Um, are you able to talk about kind of how you how you approach personal development, personal or professional development, maybe from education or reading books, that kind of thing? Sure, this is one of my favorite areas of uh, <laughs> favorite topics. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm always trying to learn new things. Um, I do a lot of reading. I try and read about one book a month on you know different different topics, relationships, trust, leadership, networking. Uh, I, I love thinking about socioeconomic trends and where things are, are headed. A uh, great book that I read there recently uh, is by uh, Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Ipsos Global. And the book is called Next. And he's talking about the demographic trends that are shaping, shaping and reshaping Canada. It's a, a fascinating read. Uh, a big fan of, of uh, podcasts, webinars, obviously have become very popular these days. And, and just talking with people. Uh, I love chatting with people right up and down the island. So networking and using social media to have conversations about uh, what's emerging, what we're seeing, um, those, are, those are huge. And then outside of that, uh, guitar and, and learning to play the guitar, that's uh, started doing some online lessons uh, that, that came out of the pandemic a little bit and, uh, and getting, out, uh, getting out into the island on, on a mountain bike. Those are, those are part of personal development too. The um, single app or software that you can't live without. That's a simple one for me. That's LinkedIn. Beautiful. Best personal advice that you've received. Oh, I've been I've been really fortunate to have some good mentors, um, and one of the best and some of the best advice comes from my my grandpa, my my opa. Um, he immigrated from from Holland in 1949 and a couple hundred dollars in his pocket. So like many uh, Canadian immigrant stories, couldn't speak English, but he went on to build a successful farm and became well-respected in the community. And he was also a bit of a philosopher. He had a number of sayings that I uh, have become famous sayings in our family. Uh, a couple examples, uh, I, don't, I don't care what you do, as long as you do something, get out there and be productive. Um, a personal favorite being being from you know the, the the Dutchman that he was. I don't care how you do it as long as you do it my way. That was another favorite. But the one that I quote most often and and I would put up there as as being some of the best advice is a line that he used and it went, "If you don't listen, you have to feel it." And I 
I started using that perhaps a bit out of context, actually. It was my dad that mentioned to me, he said, that it's an old saying that Opa used to say when they were kids, there were seven of them in the family. And he said, it was usually a prelude to a good spanking or something for some sort of misdemeanor that one of them had done. But years later, it became known more, uh, used more figuratively rather than literally. And it's, and it's a good reminder in life that, you know, lessons are repeated until learned. And, uh, and it applies in so many areas, relationships, health, business, leadership. And so uh, there you go. If, if you don't listen, you have to feel it. That's great. Um, the last one I got for you, favorite restaurant on Vancouver Island. Oh, I'm big on breakfast. So I'll, I'll go with the, uh, the Bayside restaurant in Parksville, uh, partly because it's, it's a good, good place for breakfast, but also the view is just second to none. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.